It's all the files of the whole park. It tells you everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. The Central Intelligence Agency. Since its inception during the Cold War days, it's taken on the mystique as the silent hand of the U.S. government. It's been entwined in controversies, ranging from the Phoenix Program during the Vietnam War, to Watergate, and War on Terror torture. Then in 2014, it got a Twitter account. The CIA has joined Twitter, but the spy agency showed a covert sense of humor, tweeting, we can neither confirm nor deny that this is our first tweet. Since, the CIA has been undergoing some kind of public rebranding. But why does an intelligence agency, that's whole existence is based on how good at being secret it is, need a public presence? Motherboard reporter Edward Angueso is on the show to talk spies and tweets with me. I'm Ben Maku, and this is Cyber. And yes, I'm still recording in a closet in my apartment. Okay, so for the uninitiated, the CIA and the various other intelligence agencies of the United States have actual Twitter presences. And in fact, I remember, Ed, when I was reporting for Motherboard in 2014, the summer of 2014, the CIA announced its its presence on Twitter, and it literally said, which is, this is so lame. <laughs> they said, we can neither confirm nor deny that this is our first tweet. I, I remember that. I, I think I actually remember, I think Edward Snowden, like, might have, might have troll tweeted back, like troll subtweeted. I, I can't remember exactly, but it was just a really weird moment because it was also like a year after the Snowden leaks came out and like intelligence agencies probably got for the first time uh, in, in a few decades up until that point, some serious scrutiny from the American public. But now, you know, the CIA Twitter account is extremely active. And last week, one thing it did that was very strange was it tweeted about the Bay of Pigs. Yeah. <laughs> which was just shocking. I, I like, I, so, so take us through it. They, they tweeted a, what is, what, what's it called again? A um, silver, silver coin, coin, but it's a, um, they're called uh, challenge coins. Challenge, challenge coin? coins. And yeah. Challenge coins are, are, are basically, they're kind of, they're across the Pentagon and different government departments, but you get these coins for different offices and you can get like, you know, the Department of, of uh, National Defense, or the, not National Defense, that's Canada. The Department of Defense Secretary's challenge coin and, you know, he or she gives them to, to different people when they meet. But there was going to be one for the mm-hmm. Bay of Pigs. <laughs> and it's ridiculous because it's like, okay, you know, we are, um, this is a victory coin, you know, which the Bay of Pigs failed. It was a, hor- it was a, it was a, a the CIA terms it a ill-fated attempt to depose the regime of Fidel Castro. But it was a failed coup, you know, where they uh, didn't train and then dropped off a bun- and armed a bunch of Cuban exiles. <laughs> in Cuba, and then and the Castro, you know, regime was just like, okay, get them. <laughs> That's you know, and and that was and that was that. But the the challenge coin has it's weird because it commemorates like a victory that never happened, and it has the outline of Cuba. It has a rebel invader advancing past a fallen member of like Castro's army in the foreground, and then on the back it has a cross and a shield, and the flag. Of Cuba, and it has the phrase "a crusade to free Cuba," and there will be no end but victory. And it's like, 
Yeah. You know, so it's um, it was pretty like I mean this is like a, just to me it seems like a really like an obvious unforced error. So first off, it's like the CIA made these in anticipation of of winning the Bay of Pigs. It was like you said this 1961 complete absolute disaster. Uh, I, I believe the Castro regime even infiltrated the plans themselves. So they were like waiting there for the for the, you know the the guys to storm the beach, but. The thing too that struck me about that 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 cross was just sort of like the idea of this. It's that was sort of the the era of the CIA where it was they thought they were kind of like the American Knights Templar, you know, like the like the Dulles era. There was something sort of like in you know there was sort of certainly like these sort of white supremacist inferences <laughs> with to show a big cross like that and call it invasion a crusade, but. But I, but I mean, for for modern purposes, like, and I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this was, you know, why are they even talking about the Bay of Pigs? Like I, I saw, I linked to their site and they actually like, they showed this coin. It's like the historical record of the week or whatever. And you're like, why are you talking about the Bay of Pigs? Like, this is an unmitigated disaster. And also there's just, it's just a conspiratorial, like, uh, feeding frenzy whenever you bring up the Bay of Pigs. It's like, it, it's, it involves so many different things like JFK assassination, et cetera, et cetera. Like, why are you talking about it? And it's also baffling because the Batista regime was pretty horrific military dictatorship that killed tens of thousands of Cubans, you know, had virtual slavery going on in the island um, and was the result of a coup that overthrew a democratic government in the 30s, I believe, right? So why would you be like, Damn, here's this card we had where we thought Cuba was going to be free because we were going to free it back to a dictator who was killing Cuba. I don't know. It's it's um I don't understand the logic behind it other than like a a misreading or maybe an attempt to help stoke or capitalize on maybe an anti-capitalist, you know, burgeoning moment. I mean, anti-communist moment, right? Attempt to be like, well, you know, this is a time we almost stopped them and, you know, like remind people of that because otherwise it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't think many people are like, God, um, you know, Bay of Pigs, you know, <laughs> you know, like, you know, that's like giving out like a Gulf of Tonkin coin. I yeah, don't know, exactly. You know? it's just, it, <laughs> I guess it's, it's also just begs the question, why, why does, you know, the CIA is a secretive intelligence agency that is, you know, its mandate is to collect intelligence around the world and inform the American, you know, the American government of, of potential threats, et cetera. You know, it's, it does espionage. So I guess the question is, why does, why does an agency that conducts espionage and whose very essence is about being secretive have to have a Twitter presence? You know, and I think they also have an Instagram. Like, I mean, it's just like weird. Like, well, I just don't get it. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Their attempt to rebrand and be more digital, more online, more nimble. Um, I'm sure some marketing firm sold them on how if they do this, they'll increase traffic and it will get more recruits and so on and so forth. But it just also is kind of helps with the agit prop about them being bad because they just lean into this sort of stuff. They tweet things out like this. They tweet weird ads. They tweet weird promotional stuff of stuff that feeds the frenzy, like you said, of conspiracy theories, right? Or of distrust of the agency. And also it's like, I don't know, Twitter in of itself can be ripe, pretty ripe for disinformation or misinformation. And so to have like an espionage agency just kind of, you know, proudly being around, I definitely think makes some people feel like they're, <laughs> or makes some people remember that it's, you know, it's also just as easy for them or some other agency to not have an official account. 
Yeah, and it's like I guess it also begs the question where you you say to yourself like, hey, you know, there might be a world in which the CIA could have a Twitter account and it would be it would succeed in that it, it it's pretty you know, nebulous. It doesn't really say very much. It's just sort of there, which to me, I think would be probably like a victory for them. But instead there's this like weird tweeting of these, these events like this, like Bay of Pigs challenge coin, like again, (laughs) Bay of Pigs. I think they even call it a disaster on the website, on the article that it links to. Mm -hmm. So it's like, why are you you talking about this? Are you the agency that's supposed to be really good at not talking about things? Like, Remember when the most powerful empire in the world got its ass kicked by an island 50 miles off the coast of Yeah, it's like kind of like continuing to reiterate the point that like Cuba kind of got you, man. Like, like, and then the leader of that that country continued to exist for decades onwards. Mm -hmm. I really hope... I really want them to like buy. I, want, I really want Cuba to buy a bunch of the challenge coins and like melt them into something and send it back to us. <laughs> that would be. That would definitely be a troll the Cuban government would do. Uh, I, I, I think anyway. Mm-hmm. So, but this also kind of extends into something that you 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 did you did this pretty viral article for us, uh, breaking down. You know, the CIA had this very controversial. Or I don't know if so much as controversial as much as it just caused a lot of. It was a feeding frenzy of both the right and the left and the center. Everyone seemed to have a problem with this ad. So the CIA put out an ad. Uh, it was an, it was a a, recru- a new recruitment ad. And why don't you do, why don't you describe to me what this ad entailed? So it's it's a pretty you know it's a glitzy sleek ad, right? Opens up you know celebrating the intersection intersecting identities of this one agent of color right she opens up the ad talking about she's a you know, woman of color she's a mom she's a cisgender millennial she's been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder she talks about how she's intersectional she's the daughter of immigrants she's rejecting patriarchal ideas about whether or not she can work for the agency they showcase some imagery of like you know um a, 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 a black power fist wrapped in a gender symbol and it's or it's like you know a race feminist fist essentially and it is uh an ad that was like very steeped in deploying language that people associate with wokeness right or the idea that mm-hmm. you know she is supposed to signal to people she's like accepting and that this is a agency that accepts people from all walks of life and so you can come here especially if you value those things but it just drove people it nuts. broke everybody's minds yeah it drove everybody nuts <laughs> you know? it just broke their brains like <laughs> it was i think part of it was because a lot of people um, we're still also feeling weird about the CIA's previous rebranding. Um, and then, mm-hmm. and then there are other people who forgot that that rebranding even happened in the first place. So they thought this was a new thing. Right. And so there became mm-hmm. these fights where it's like one group was saying, this is proof that like woke politics are bad because the CIA can co-opt them. And then there's another group that, you know, was trying to argue and quibble about that saying, well, the CIA is weaponizing them. Um, so we should figure out like how to modify the language, but still adhere to it. And I think, you know, the, and the right was just freaking out. They're like, it's the same kind of Ted Cruz line where it's like, 
Americans are not, American soldiers right. aren't tough enough anymore and the Russians are going to get us. Right. And it's they like, can't. okay, all right. Like, <laughs> the, the, the people who are trained to kill enemy combatants are not tough enough. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, you know what? I think the American army is pretty good and so is U.S. intelligence, you know, doing some some stuff that uh, that side of the world or that side of American politics would appreciate. Yeah, and you know, it got people who, like, usually distrust everything the security state says to um, believe it. I mean, you had, like, Glenn Greenwald talking about how, like, treating this as, like, a really genuine statement of values, right? He was yeah, talking about yeah. how... Um, Which was a complete misreading, I think. I, like, I, yeah. You know, I think what, what's really interesting about this is that I think, for one mm-hmm. thing, the language of, of wokeness is now, I think, it's not... You can't just say it's on one side of the political spectrum or the other. It's pretty, mm-hmm. it, it, now it's just pervasive. But the other being that like, you know, when they were doing this, like I, I actually think this, and this is where I, I'm almost like a hat tip to whoever thought this one up. I think they literally were like, this is gonna piss everyone off. <laughs> and, and there's gonna be a bunch of people who we want to recruit, be like, but maybe I will apply to the CIA. <laughs> and that otherwise might not have heard about this. So I think like, it, like I think they kind of won. I think they did because, you know, it's part of this move we've been seeing, I think, in general with some of the recruiting campaigns where you can still speak in the language of like wanting to defend the country and the values. But you can you can you get it unarticulated from like being inherently a patriot or a nationalist. Now it's like one of the best ways to defend those values is to join this institution. Right. Because this Mm -hmm. institution embodies those values. And so that I feel like that's really the real cynical move that's going on here that keeps getting missed by the right wingers, especially who think that like this is just (laughs) like it's just virtue signaling or something like that. You know, instead of like realizing I I think also like, you know, the military ads have a some of a flavor, a line of this where it's like they are going, I think they're probably going to work better than like the traditional ads because they can appeal to more people who may not be willing, you know, to join these groups because of nationalism or they don't feel that attached to the country, but they definitely feel attached to the promise of these freedoms or these abstract ideals, right? That agency is now saying we are the best representation of. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with that. And I think, you know, the other th- one argument I did here as well was, was that, you know, this CIA predominantly recruits and it always has, you know, at first, I mean, the, the basis for the creation of CIA was mostly, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant men who mm. came from Yale and, you know, those types of Ivy League circles. And, you know, that was a real problem for recruitment for a long time. And that's where that's where the CIA got its people from, which, you know, uh, probably didn't make it the best reader of global politics because of it. <laughs> so, right. but if you look at it now, you know, the CIA is still from, I mean, obviously, none of, neither you nor I know this for sure, but it's been speculated, and I think it's true, is still recruiting very hard from Ivy League institutions. And this is the language of, of Ivy League institutions now. Like, this is the type of thing, this is the way that they're speaking. And they're trying to talk to those recruits still. It's not like they're, turn, they're pivoting away from, from trying to recruit from Harvard because, you know, graduates of Harvard now are, these, this is predominantly their politics. Yeah. And I thought that that was a that was a that was a solid argument because I think like I think it's it's probably true. Yeah, no, and I think that's that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about that before. I mean, like you're right. Like those are still a lot, you know where they're going to get a lot of the analysts, a lot of analysts from, right? You're from these places, I'm sure. And so it makes sense that you would also want to keep in mind 
okay, what are they learning? How are they talking to each other? What do they value? And how can we like connect with that? You know, mm -hmm. because in the Cold War, it would be easy, much easier to connect over, you know, like the, the specter of communism or, you know, emphatically connecting to America uh, and its values mm -hmm. and America, American nationalism or patriotism. And now instead you have to connect on, you know, whatever rationale they have for wanting to Whatever cultural, whatever, whatever cultural body you adhere to, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I, I think that that's sort of the idea of it. But I mean, again, I think they kind of succeeded in getting the word out, yeah. even though, you know, it's a, it's a pretty like the, 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 I mean, it's, it's the other thing too that it did is like every single American corporation now that puts out an ad, it adds, you know, this, it has some sort of activist tinge to it mm -hmm. or some sort of, you know, it, because it is, it, the idea is that you have to sell products still, but you have to like, now in order to sell products, you have to be sort of like politically, uh, politically conscious. Yeah, you know. And that's, so they're doing these things to, to sell stuff to, and I think in this way, the CIA probably caught on to a similar thing. And I, I'm sure they were using some sort of ad agency or, or firm to, to make this. Like, I mean, I, I'd be surprised if the CIA had did it all themselves yeah. is what I'm thinking. You know, it's like, it's like when these car commercials use MLK quotes, you know? Exactly. Like, like, exactly. They, they have nothing to do with each other, but it's selling yeah. something. Conveniently during BLM right. too, like during like, like it's like, you know, so it's, I think it's probably a little bit of that as well. You know, and that's also my, that's also why I am surprised when right wingers react the way they do to it, because it's like, this is what you would want. This is like doing what you want. You know, you do this and you'll get more recruits and you'll get more recruits who are more committed. Right. And who are mm -hmm. less likely to get disillusioned and who are more likely to buy into it and stay with it and be loyal to it. Right. Isn't that what they want? <laughs> you know, like, absolutely. Mm. But again, it's just like I, the concept of of this this such outwardly present intelligence agencies yeah. like the CIA or NSA and NSA does the same stuff. Mm -hmm. They have like a pretty active Twitter account and it, it's just, I don't like, it seems so counterintuitive to me. Yeah. You know, and it, and it's, and it feels like, I don't know, maybe they've made the calculation or decided, you know, the outrage that they'll get in some circles is, is minimal to the interest they can raise in people who mm -hmm. might otherwise not learn about them. Because I definitely do know people who, in one way or another, ended up working for, you know, a government agency or some intelligence agency over the years. And the way that they got into it was really just like coming across it. And so mm -hmm. versus, you know, like drifting between, you know, contractor jobs and then getting into it because it seemed to be like an opportunity they could do and they didn't know it was an option. So I feel like that's also like you've been saying here, you know, that helps get it out as much as possible. The outrage cycle helps and then people will come and drift along. I think you're totally right. And I think, I think a lot of the times people think that CIA and NSA need to recruit in some shadowy way where it's like they find you mm -hmm. and they like send you some weird cryptic uh, messages <laughs> you solve a logic while game. you're like walking somewhere. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, like some van abducts you in the corner of the street yeah. when really it's just like, hmm, I got a brochure at a university fair. Right. Yeah. You do the brochure, <laughs> should, you do the exam, yeah. you do the interview, you take a test, you know, they, it's like McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> Like it's not as you simple, know, you know? Yeah. And I also, you know, I think obviously this is, I think you, you touched on something too. I think this is clearly like it's trying, they're trying to rebrand, but they're trying to get recruits. They're trying to get people to think that they're okay right now. Cause obviously, you know, the war on terror and the, I mean, the history of torture that came out of that. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the Snowden leaks and it made it, you know, less, less, I guess, romantic 
to join one of these intelligence agencies. And I know after uh, the Snowden leaks, you, you, there was, I think, about a year later, the NSA had a recruitment crisis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the problems I think I remember talking to lots of hackers was like, yeah, but like if I admit I smoked weed, I can't join the NSA or <laughs> or the FBI as a hacker. Right. And like, so what do you like? What do you expect? You want to so you're not you, like name me a hacker that's never smoked weed. Like, <laughs> no, you know, yeah. no, you're right. You also can't actually you can't work for you can't work for our current president if you smoke weed yeah ever yeah if you'd ever smoked weed before yeah they fired a bunch of people because they admitted <laughs> <laughs> what is that like, it's legal there too it's legal you, if it's you legal walk outside too, the white yeah. house you can smoke a joint outside the gate <laughs> literally i would want to know which vice employee would survive that <laughs> like their job intact like I, that would be i would be like which one who didn't smoke weed yeah. ever i just like honestly i Part of me feels like, I remember joking at the time that it was like a test. You know, if you were like foolish enough to admit you smoked weed, then they screwed you Yeah, that's you a good out. point. <laughs> but then also at the same time, it's like they do hate weed. Like, you know, they, they, they do hate weed. So. It's like that. It's like that weird 60s, like, you smoke weed, you're a real burnout right. guy. Yeah. You know, like, you're, you're dope. Like, you can't be in here, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like a, like a dare commercial. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm sure they play dare somewhere in that cursed house. Oh, man, they definitely do. Dare commercials, if you, if you play them as well, like if you look back at the 80s ones, they really are. Some of them are like... It's it's pretty funny. Yeah, they're good to watch high. So <laughs> I cannot. You know what? I I can neither confirm nor deny if I've ever smoked marijuana. <laughs> right. No comment. <laughs> All right. Well, that was good. Thank you for coming on to talk about this. I'm sure we're going to get to talk about intelligence agencies and their social media presences once more because it doesn't sound like they're going to stop anytime soon. Always post. They're always posting. Always. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks for having me on. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Rob, welcome to the Cipher. You are Rob Zachney, the host of Waypoint Radio, one of our one of our, our I guess partner podcasts or like friends. Like we're both podcasts, motherboards. Uh, guys from across the hall. I don't know. Yeah, guys from across the hall. When we actually had halls uh, that we were, you know, in. Yeah. Well, to be fair, Vice HQ doesn't have like that. Halls implies rooms, and there were never enough of yeah, those. Yeah. True. 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 I also not a big fan of the open concept. No, no. Being uh, like shoulder to shoulder, uh, the, the sort yeah, of cattle car model of an editorial newsroom didn't yep. didn't uh, land with me. I don't miss it. I got to tell you. I remember my last job was with uh, like a wire service and it was it was like 
we had cubicles and everyone's shit was everywhere, like stacks of papers. It kind of looked like like the that season of The Wire where they're like they're at that really terrible like local paper that's just like going under. Actually, it's not a terrible local paper, it's just going under. And I, I remember being like, oh, I'll go to Vice and things will look cool. And then I was like, give me that raw that you know old rug with coffee stains cubicle any day of the week yeah i mean like the vice location is cool but i think the the yes the exchange was cool location maybe not ideal office situation but uh we make the best good snacks though good snacks they were very good snacks they were very good snacks so rob this is what we do is we do we do three stories this is like rapid fire almost and then you know we're gonna do the second story we're doing is gonna be well it's gonna be ufo stuff so everyone get prepared because you know much i love ufos but the first one is since we're talking to the guy who talks a lot about video games we're gonna talk about a little lorenzo franceschi bicarai scoop about the world's largest video game cheating empire now he's been reporting a lot on this and it's really interesting how much this is like a, a real scene. Yeah, I think one of the really fascinating things about this, and I wasn't even fully up on this uh, prior to Lorenzo starting to cover this, is how much this looks like mainline software development in a lot of ways. You have like customer service, totally. you have client bases, uh, you have attach rates, etc. And I think this is like this is such a different world than when I first started playing first person shooters uh, online like 20 years ago. Where like there were some very easy scripts you could install into a game, uh, you know, basically yourself and you like aimbots were the easiest thing in the world. But the notion mm -hmm. that you would have like a subscription service to an aimbot, for instance, um, was laughable because the t the arms race hadn't advanced to that point where it was necessary. Uh, a lot of times like either a game was sort of abandoned by developers, at which point it was just you know, turned over to the cheat makers uh, and it just became a sewer uh, or eventually like anti-cheat stuff would, would sort of clamp down on things. But the scale of this now is so different and the sophistication of anti-cheat software is both so advanced and also so invasive. Um, it is operating now on levels of the OS that so the stuff didn't uh, 20 years ago that has become much harder. Totally. It's in, it's like, a, it's like, a, it's like, a, it's like anti, anti malware software. Yeah. Like very, very similar stuff um, in terms of like needing access to layers of the OS and layers mm -hmm. of the computer uh, to, to, to sort of solve for this stuff. And, you know, I remember like there's, there's a lot of paranoia even in the competitive scene about like, well, what if, you know, sort of the Jaws thing of like you only know about the the biggest shark that you've caught, but like you can imagine worse mm -hmm. ones. So there's always sort of like mm -hmm. doubts about like when you see amazing, amazing, quote unquote, like kills or reflex shots that seem like superhuman. Sometimes there's that doubt of like, well, it didn't trip anti-cheat, but at the same time I'm looking at it and it doesn't look right. Um, and a lot of people, it's it's so funny how many people uh, do seem to just love being good at games via a cheat. It's the most bit like this is yeah, the part which, that, I, which it gets boring. I remember like I remember I played like Warcraft two and Starcraft, and I remember you could just like type in a few cheats, and suddenly you'd like triple your force, and you just like completely own the game. But it was just so easy, and I remember like I lost interest, and I went back at one point in my teens and played it again. I was like, ah, oh, this is a lot better when you actually have to try. <laughs> yeah, this is the one part of this that like 
I just know I am wired differently from a lot of these cheaters is that I just don't get how this stays fun. Like, I just don't, yeah. I don't understand I what it. is the joy What's of the advancing and matchmaking. Yeah. Like, because you're not, you aren't this good and you can't actually play at this tier. Um, you're just kind of being allowed to, I guess, hang out in higher level spaces uh, because you, you look this good. But either way, the, the like development of this industry uh, yeah. that, that it has turned into is kind of shocking. And the, and the story about, uh, you know, catfishes, uh, you know, cheat for PUBG Mobile is really extraordinary because, you know, I think a lot of Lorenzo's reporting, it's like, okay, this is software development as all the things of like subscriptions, customer service. Yeah. This is also where that bleeds over into uh, organized crime, almost activity or like yeah, money laundering. This where cheating empire. It's crazy. Yeah, and the fact of like, okay, well, how do you how do you stash your assets? Like, you got all these people paying money for this cheat. Where do you put that money? Because it's not easily reportable. And the, an interesting subtext of this is these stories are coming out of like China because China does enforce this stuff. Whereas I think, I think still in like Europe and uh, the United States, there is kind of a techno illiteracy on the part of a law law enforcement and, and also video games, people kind of roll their eyes. Like, well, this isn't, you know, it's, it's video games. It's not that big a deal. If you're China and like one of your largest companies is a firm like Tencent, for instance, um, which, you know, if you created the Venn diagram of popular games that Tencent owns at least a stake of, um, it's pretty much all like modern gaming. Uh, But just stuff they own outright is, you know, riot games. uh, They operate PUBG mobile. This is a multi-billion dollar business and a multi-billion dollar industry. And it's interesting to see that that has translated into an interest in enforcing the integrity of these games that mm-hmm. just doesn't exist, uh, as far as I can tell, outside China. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, look, I'm not a gamer at all. So when I see this and I saw Lorenzo's reporting on it, it does make sense to me, though, right? Because, like, look... Gaming, as you know, is a multi-billion dollar industry. I can only imagine that if you're going to create like this cheating empire like that was created because you want to make some money off it. I mean, people will try to make money off of anything. And I think organized crime has been quite, you know, attracted to Internet methods of, of getting money, whether or not it's carding or or uh, or, or uh, ransomware, et cetera. So, it, I mean, it makes sense. It does make sense to me. I just think the, the extent to, to which... It's like almost become cops and robbers for cheat for for internet gaming cheats, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's the it's the classic arms race, right? Yeah. Of just increasing sophistication, um, and it's I think it's it's you know only possible probably because we have games now operating at the scale. Like I'm not sure you see operations like this developing around. Uh, let's say. Let's say what Call of Duty was when we when the series first came out when we were younger, right? Which was mm-hmm. like there were it was pretty a big. popular game. It was pretty big. Yeah. yeah, but you're still you're still opening up a server browser. You know, there's still like several thousand people playing the game at once, and you're you're playing with those people. Um, now. Yeah, like you you've got millions. audiences, active audiences of millions. And so eat like the small fraction of people who are like, I want to cheat at this game, that small fraction that they're willing to pay is now real money. Yeah. And then expand that to other games. Then you're really like scaling it. Yeah. And so I, I think it's 
the degree to which the way uh, like catfish's operation was compromised, it feels like this 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 article Lorenzo wrote is really gripping. Uh, it feels very much like the last act of uh, Goodfellas in some ways, where like Henry Hill is like seeing yeah. he keeps seeing a helicopter. helicopter in the sky. <laughs> yeah, uh, the the way that he sort of tumbles to the fact that. His network's been compromised because one of his colleagues doesn't sound like himself online. Um, something mm-hmm. is off about his tone and the realization that, like, hey, that's that's not that dude typing these messages. Um, but also at the same time, there's, like, this naivete around it where, again, like, going back to Goodfellas, we remember the thing about after you create the heist, you don't spend the money. If you spend the mm-hmm. money, people wonder where you got the money. Don't, buy, you- the, don't buy the pink Cadillac. Yeah, exactly. And in the story, we find that like one of the guys who got busted was like had a you know a a four hundred fifty dollar a month job, and was driving around in like a Lamborghini and had like four million in Bitcoin assets. And that okay, that was probably invisible to the police. Sure, the Lamborghini isn't like the Lamborghini definitely isn't. (laughs) If you're working a shitty job and you're rolling up in a Lambo, like people are gonna wonder. Uh, Listen, if I rolled up with a Lambo somewhere, I'd be like, people, I'd be giving people the wrong idea. I'm on the take. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the notion that, you know, these these guys, I think maybe in some ways, the same way that it's weird for us to be like, hey, there's millions of dollars in the lo- on the line in video game cheating. I wonder if a bit of that naivete also extends to the people who are sort of knee deep in it, where it's yeah. like, well, it's 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 against the terms of use, but is it really crime? Like, do I really like, is anyone going to give a shit if I'm making bank from this? And it turns out, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And actually it's like, you know, I think the other thing too about this is like, there's like that, there's that naivete of people where they don't realize they're committing serious crimes, but they are, you know, kind of like the varsity blues thing when those like celebrities were paying off like recruiters to get their kids to play on the fencing team, like the eighth position. It's like, no, that's, that's a, that's a, that's not good. That's a federal crime. Right. It's just, I felt like there was just like that. They're like, it's gaming. How, how could it be a crime? And you're like, well, it is. (laughs) Well, and the other thing that comes up in this too, is like a lot of times what we choose to treat seriously as a crime uh, is when it imperils like wealthy people's property. In some yeah. ways, like that's really that's and really that's this, when we start. That's to give also a shit. what this did. Exactly. Like the argument uh, and there's a few people cited this notion that if a game gets overrun with cheaters, it's like the game has cancer um, mm-hmm. and it just starts to hollow out the community. And like so this was this PUBG Mobile seems like it has a particularly uh, troubled relationship with cheaters. But honestly, you don't have to go that far. Like PUBG was kind of first to mark with Battle Royale. Uh, Player mm-hmm. Unknown's Battlegrounds was the breakthrough game. They had like a one year head start on like owning that space. And their lunch kind of got eaten by Fortnite. There are a lot of epic resources that Epic could bring to bear. But one of the things that really helped demolish PUBG's popularity was that they never got the cheating situation under control on their PC client. Um, that, you know, it, was, it wasn't long before people were posting, you were seeing more clips of cheaters on social media then you were good plays because people were so pissed about like, I was having a great game and then look at this thing that happened. And God the, mode. Yeah. And the <laughs> clip would show someone's kill cam, like them making an impossible shot or, or just having like utter telepathy about where you would appear in a way that just doesn't happen in that game. And I think there's a lot of reasons PUBG like struggled to remain competitive or like in the front of this market. 
But the fact that people lost confidence that they were getting good games, fair games, clean games. Yeah, that didn't help. No, I mean, that's the thing. Again, like you said, I think it's like once you start actually infringing on rich people, there's going to be, you know. Yeah. And cue the FBI investigation. Yeah, we're not going to let you vandalize, uh, you know, our massive software platform. We're just like, if you are going to screw this up for us, we're going to try and get you in jail. Yep. Okay, so next one. The Rob, I'm sure I actually want to I want to hear your take on this, but we constantly talk in the show. I mean, I do. I love UFO shit. I live for it. I practically like wearing the tinfoil hat. I'm. I mean, I'm not even practically. I love it. I find it so interesting. Dating back to, I mean, even even when I was a kid, but I thought, you know, that 2017 uh, New York Times article about the, the the presence of this, you know, secret Pentagon program. From there on, I've just been queued up on this. I think it's such an interesting thing. Obviously, there's been a bunch of disclosures in the last year or so, and there's about to be a massive one from the U.S. government. We'll see what it says. A lot of people have high hopes for it. But came out another motherboard story that the Canadian military has also been saying, seeing the same stuff. A lot of weird encounters. And consistent encounters. And consistent encounters. Consistent encounters is the other thing. That's the, like, I, I, I can't, whatever it is, it's otherworldly. That's, that's my answer. Whatever it is, it's otherworldly. So, okay. There's a few things that I bear in mind though with this. One is that the rate of UFO sightings increases massively post-war as we enter the jet age and we start getting a lot more like, uh, aerospace testing, uh, military aerospace testing, uh, that's being com- done completely in secret. Um, and so, like, my suspicion is there, like, just there is a fact of life that after World War II, you've got a lot more classified missions happening with, mm-hmm. like, hardware that's being tested. So, Stealth I would, Bomber ends up being one in this, I think it was yeah. the 60s, 70s. You got U2, all sorts of stuff. I agree. I agree. Um, some of this shit is extremely weird, though. Like, uh, you know, there's a, there's, um, uh, RCAF Bay, CFB North Bay, uh, in 2007, yeah. where they described the orb of light just going, like hovering yeah. over the base yeah, yeah. and then ascending into the sky. And by the way, Rob, I'm from not far from there. Do you have any idea how clear the skies are in that area? It's crazy. Like, like see the Milky Way type stuff? You're going to, yeah, you, you can see, you can, at, I think at times you can see uh, the the Northern Lights. Like it is clear skies up there. It is, it's Northern Ontario, you know? Yeah. like. So these people, when they saw that, they saw that. Yeah. And so like stuff like that, I'm always kind of left wondering, like, what the hell is that stuff? Um, Because that's the part that I struggle to like the things that I'm almost certain are always like uh, UAVs or something are descriptions of like things that move impossibly fast or like change direction really quickly. Well, if you take a pilot out of the equation, you can make things that behave completely unlike a plane, right? Like most of the performance constraints on a on a plane are making making it so they don't like kill. A although, pilot. although to to pu- push back on that, so like the the orbs that are doing that, like the ones that have been caught on camera yeah. and caught like b- both at night and during the day by pilots with you know great great eyesight. The thing is, those glowing orbs don't have any propulsion. Yeah. So like what? Like what? <laughs> yeah, it's like what in the human? No, there's nothing that we've created that even 
you know, now, like, I think the other thing too is like information is, is far more uh, understood in terms of, we, we know a lot more about aerospace and we know a lot more about, and a lot more people know about it, that it's, it's a lot tougher to keep a secret nowadays yeah. than it was in, you know, the 60s or 70s. So I guess yeah. if there's a bunch of experts who are above board, not government secret agents who are all like, I gotta say, I don't know what the fuck that is. That's really like, it's, who knows? Like it, humans can't make that. That's like, come on. Yeah. Like some of it is extremely strange. I have, I have trouble figuring out like what it could possibly be. Um, the, like the, the, and, and the weird things they do, like, again, I can understand when you have these like scrambles where interceptors are set up to like, go track down something that's been sighted and the thing just yeah. takes off again. I can easily believe that like, especially, um, you know, up in Northern Canada, I can easily believe either it is a training flight of some sort of stealth technology from like, uh, you know, NATO aligned forces or something from like, uh, you know, ex Soviet or like Russian, uh, air forces as well. Um, I can sort of see that right. Where like, how do you test something's, ability to penetrate radar defenses. Yeah, probably after a certain point, the best way to do it is to see if anyone notices you going into secure airspace. But the stuff where it's just like these weird loitering incidents where yeah. like just lights hovering around shit and uh, then disappearing. That part is so close encounters of the third kind for me. That does freak me out. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like I so I actually believe that some of this stuff probably is like you're right, like military technology. And I'm not sure if it like even I think I think the other thing that when people say aliens, like I don't know what the conventional I think, you know, of the conventional idea of an alien being this little green man. I don't think that's probably yeah. what it is, but it's it's something something's up and it it's something that was is going to blow our minds once we find out what it is. Yeah, I I my suspicion is it's not just one thing. My like I, I yeah, bet if we could right. un, if we if sort of like train the confusion and secrecy around this, we would find sort of a constellation of weird shit that's up there. That's like some of it's military, some of it's completely unexplainable. Um, and like that would that would probably be the the revelation. Um, but what it it is so funny the degree to which now, almost like overnight. It's like a switch got flipped where yeah. we went from denial, denial, denial to, okay, yeah, UFOs are real. <laughs> like, we're just going to cop to it. I know. And I, I kind of, I mean, I kind of love it because it's just like the concept of it is very, you know, philosophically interesting, right? There's a lot of questions you can ask about w- whether or not why it would exist. There's also a lot of, a lot of questions about like our universe and whether or not two intelligent life uh, worlds could even could even intersect at the same time in terms of evolution. There's just a lot of questions about it that are like worth asking. But I think before you can even have that conversation before it was always, you know, it's stupid. That's insane. You're a loser who like orders weird magazines and thinks that they've been abducted, you know? Yeah. And like and the, now the, you've got all this declassified footage. Yeah. And I think like before you, I mean, you, we grew up in the 90s. Like, the 90s were weird as hell for aliens. Like, everyone thought it was either, you know, the ridiculous, you know, probes and, like, abductions and, you know, the stuff from, like, that you're, you're beamed up. And I don't – I think maybe we've kind of, like, we've departed from that. And now it's yeah. a little bit more of a realistic conversation. Like, what is – I wonder is, how much that is also, like, 
Um, weird news culture was so different in the nineties too. You couldn't yeah, go to supermarket without like wall to wall, like just goofball stories with like total crackpots, uh, yeah. or things that were made for people who just like love to consume just patently ridiculous stories. Like pictures of actual, like we're dissecting an alien that's been found from Mars. I remember seeing stuff like that on like the cover of like literally like national Enquirer or one of those weird, you know, tabloids. Right. And, and I think like, I think that culture kind of, I don't know how strong that, that culture still is, but like the minute you had people, um, I remember ages ago, the things I started to hear was like, uh, I had a friend who had like a commercial airline pilot in her family and she was like, no, I believe in UFOs. They're, they're totally real. Like my uncle is mm-hmm. a pilot and he's, he's a boring dude. Um, mm-hmm. he, he, he wouldn't like make this up, but he sees weird shit from like the cockpit yep. of a passenger jet routinely. Yep. And like, and you start realizing, okay, that stuff is real. Like there's a lot of people who don't seem like fabulous at all, who are, who are trained to be sort of like exactly pretty dispassionate observers. And they also see things where it's like, I don't know what that was. Yeah. That was actually the turning point for me. I, I interviewed some, some people who were uh, were part of Canada's, you know, the NORAD, the basically the the interception line for Russian bombers when the Cold War was serious. But we still have it up there. It's in I think Cold Cold River, Alberta. Can't remember the name of the base. But anyway, uh, and they were like, "No, we've seen some weird shit, like really weird stuff following us when we were in like our CF-18s." Yeah, and I was like, "What do you mean?" And they're like, "Some weird." like bizarre stuff. And I was like, wow, you're, you know, and everyone knows or not everyone knows that pilots at that level have amazing eyesight. They're scientists, <laughs> you know, they're usually engineers or, you know, they're very, very scientific method oriented people. And I was like, if they people with perfect eyesight and that perspective, and they're like, I don't know about this. Who am I to say? I got a liberal arts degree, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's kind of where I, I And I'm wearing on. glasses as I speak to you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of where I started to turn uh, on, on the issue, too, where it was like, okay, there's just too much. There's not too much out there uh, to, like, deny that there aren't there aren't UFOs. The question now is just like, okay, but what are they? And that I feel like we're not closer to, to knowing. No. Okay, so getting to something even more serious and more amazing. Waypoint has there's a there's a recent development. Tell us about it. Yeah, uh, so Waypoint just launched Waypoint Plus. Um, it is a subscription service for some some premium content, but also the subscription service is going to enable us to do uh, more stuff that's going to be freely available to everyone. Uh, so I don't think the official like this was such a uh soft launch and so slapped together at the last minute i think right now we are using the following redirect uh to push people toward it uh like we've been sending people to waypoint.zone slash subscribe to get people to sign up for waypoint plus and uh what they get with that is there's some premium podcasts that are going to go in a feed that you can add on your podcast player but the other thing is um and i'm Sure, you're familiar with this because we're in the same industry. If you live and die by page views, you are at the mercy of ad rates. And in general, the trend has been ad rates are not great. And so stories that used to be enough to like finance a site, now you need to get bigger and bigger, uh, you know, viral. Thanks, successes. Facebook. Thanks, yeah, Facebook. Exactly. Um, Destroyed the media industry. 
Yeah, often with uh, often with juked stats too. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. But and they also, by the way, Rob, I don't know if you remember, they uh, ruined democracy. Yeah, um, and all I have to do is well, I'm actually locked out of my Facebook account forever uh, because I never updated the .edu, uh, so I'm never going <laughs> back. Um, they were like, "Well, if you don't. want to get into your account, we need your driver's license," and I was like, "I just took that as a sign from the gods," where I was like, "Yeah, farewell." Yeah, they don't want me on Facebook. Um, yeah. the universe wants me, uh, to be logged off. So, so I am, but, um, yeah, I'd like it's, it's toxic and terrible. So like waypoint plus allows us to get away from that ecosystem to have a like reader and listener supported model to an extent. Um, like we're still going to be Which doing stories. We're still be doing journalism, but also this enables us to not completely like base what we're doing around what we think is going to chart really well in terms of traffic reports. Um, and so that's already made some changes. Uh, we've been able to resume something we used to do a lot of, uh, video game streaming, uh, where we play, um, you know, completely honest and upright games of whatever. No, no cheats here. Uh, but we play games together. Um, so like this past week, uh, Austin Walker, who's a co-host on Waypoint Radio, he and I have a very long-running um, XCOM 2 game. Uh, where speaking of aliens, uh, we, we are trying to defend Earth uh, from, from aliens uh, in XCOM 2. And that has an entire long-running backstory. And it's a lot of fun. And we had to stop doing that for a couple of years because it just hit a point where higher-ups at Vice were like, hey, like, you need to be chasing traffic. Like, we're, we don't see how video fits into what we need you to be doing. Waypoint Plus is the answer to that. That's great. So everyone, check out that redirect. It should be in the show notes. Rob, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. You should come back and talk some shit about video game stuff because I obviously, you know, I'm an absolute, I wouldn't even call myself a noob. I'd call myself, I don't know shit is what I call myself. (laughs) Except for like my 14-year-old memory of it because at some point I played warcraft and starcraft and then it was just like straight up bro shit like fifa you know i played fifa i liked fifa i mean that's the it's weird to think like how universal like games like starcraft and warcraft were for a minute and then they were yeah completely amazing too oh they were amazing yeah just absolute classics yeah it's kind of like it was like it's like risk but you're way more in control yeah (laughs) all right well thank you all right thank you Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.